Coming up next, The Bookening discusses the question of should Christians read fiction? If not, then we may have to rethink this podcast. Jacob Menzel, the pastor who's a master of reading. How you doing, Jake? I'm doing well. How are you, Nathan? I'm doing all right. Uh, we are here for an emergency session. We had to call an emergency session. Brandon is out fighting crime somewhere else. He's putting out fires. He's doing great work for literature, for whatever Brandon does in his free time when he's not hanging out with us. He puts out literary fires. He's, he's putting out literary fires. Book burning parties or something. Yep, yep, yep. He's finding people that are burning books. He's stopping them. He's wearing his cape and his mask. Brandon is a psychopathic. Vigilante. Vigilante, actually. That's uh, something that we'll be exploring a lot more in episodes to come. I can he almost He was inspired by it. watching the Lego Batman movie. W- <laughs> yes. <laughs> we have to all be in this together, guys. Yes. yes. Uh, we actually should say that we don't can neither confirm nor deny that Brandon is the... Bookinator. Bo- the bookinator. <laughs> right, Jake? Right. Wink? Keep, right. Wink. Totally cannot confirm or deny that. Right. We do. We, we cannot I mean, confirm. Non, can't if, call it a fact if it's you right. can't confirm it. Yeah. So. No. It's a it's a fact that we can't confirm it because we just don't know who that guy is. The masked man that shows up at when people are trying to like. I don't think that people should read. Uh, let's burn Jane, all these Jane Austen books for some crazy reason. Brandon shows up. Fists fly. Furious things happened. Uh, and he, these people are taken to. T- did I just say Brandon shows up? <laughs> No, you said the bookinator. Oh, the bookinator, yes. The bookinator shows up (laughs) and uh, things happen. Speech bubbles pop up all over the place spontaneously. Yes, saying things like pow or kabam, clam, ouch. Um, Biff. Biff, boff, (laughs) all these kinds of things. Uh, Strangely enough, many of the men... And then DC Talk jumps out and starts rapping love is a verb. All these things happen. We're aware of these things. But the reason what we're actually uh, uh, doing this emergency uh, episode today, it's going to be a quick, it's going to be dirty, not dirty in a bad way, just quick and dirty. Like get, we're getting down to business. We're gonna, I'm not going to waste a lot of time because we, Jake, we are both, if there's one word that I think describes both of us, that word would be gentlemen. That's right. Right. We're gentlemen. We see a little old lady that needs help crossing the street. What do we do? Jump in front of traffic. We jump in front of traffic. That's <laughs> right. We are gentlemen. We see a cat in a tree. What do we do? Call the fire department. Call the fire department. Tell them to stay away from it. Buy the kid a dog. <laughs> That's right. Because cats are the worst. Cats are the worst. We see uh, some little lady with a bunch of grocery bags. We go find a shopping cart for her. We find a shopping cart. We bring that shopping cart to her. We are always doing gentlemanly things. That's, if you knew us in our private life, you know, I mean, we play these characters on the bookening, you know, we can sound a little brash, bold, whatever, because that's what sells podcasts. But as soon as the mics are turned off, say, thank you, gentlemen, for that was a a fine recording session. And we sip our sherry and uh, we do, you know, because we're gentlemen. And the point being... What is the one thing that you think that defines a gentleman, would you say? What's the quote? <laughs> According to Google, if you put a gentleman is in, you get 
A gentleman is simply a patient wolf. You also get a gentleman is not a pot. You also get, and if you put a gentleman is someone, you get a gentleman is someone who is never unintentionally rude. Okay. A gentleman is someone who can play the accordion. Okay, check, 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 <laughs> check. So far, so good. I think the actual quote is a gentleman who is someone who never causes offense except for when he means to. I don't know, something like that. I've heard it. It's Oscar Wilde, right? I've heard it said a gentleman uh, can almost be defined as someone who doesn't cause pain or something. I don't know. That's 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 how a mutual friend never of ours... unintentionally causes pain. Right. Maybe. Exactly. So we don't want to cause anyone pain. And yet another thing a gentleman does is he rescues damsels in distress. And so sometimes you're going to have to cause some pain to that dragon, you know, in order to rescue the princess. So you're kind of like, you know, you got to live some tension as a gentleman. You might have to lop off a few heads in order to make the world safe for the, the women and the children. And you might have to jump in front of a few cars, as you said. Help uh, those little old ladies cross little the ladies. street. Yeah. And that can cause some, uh, you know, multiple fatalities. Um, so in this case, we had to call this emergency session because we are gentlemen. We are chivalrous. And there was a damsel in distress, a damsel by the name of Mrs. K. Robbins, Jake, who... Oh, did you have something to say? No, I was waiting to respond to whatever you were going to tell me. uh, uh, (laughs) You just took a breath. Like, (laughs) you're that excited to respond to whatever it was I was going to say. You took a breath. You were ready to go. I love it. Mrs. K. Robbins, she reached out to Warhorn Media, our overlords at Warhorn Media, and said this on Warhorn Media's Instagram account. She said, I just ran a... No, Mrs. K. Robinson's... One thing, one interesting piece of trivia that might come in handy, she listens to The Bookening. She may well be listening to this episode. Now, she wrote to us, I just ran across an online article from a homeschooling mom who doesn't allow fiction to cross the threshold of their home. Surprisingly, she was an English lit major. Her reasoning was systematic and intelligent. I tried to keep an open mind reading her post, but came away with a sad feeling. Not sure why I'm posting this, but I wish there would be a Bookening episode about the subject. Well, Mrs. K. Robbins, your wish is our command. This is, in fact the bookening episode that you asked for on that post. Warhorn Media followed up with her. It found out what this post was. And we're going to respond to it because Mrs. K. Robbins is sad. She thinks she might not be able to read fiction because this person, you know, she went into it. She was like, what does this crazy person doesn't read fiction? And then she read it and it was like, it actually kind of had made some points. So we thought that we would respond to this post. That we did. That we did. <laughs> so that's what we're about to do because we're gentlemen, right, Jake? That's right. We, we are, are gonna, gentlemen. We see Mrs. K. Robbins in, 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 dis, in distress. I'm we sure, throw I'm ourselves sure, in front of some cars. Yeah, and... we, I'm sure Mr. K. Robinson's did what he could, but sometimes you have to call in the experts. And when it comes to defending fiction against random internet things that say that fiction's bad, I can think of no experts that I trust more than myself and Brandon Chastine, but you're here too, and <laughs> that'll right. help. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so let's get into this. I'm not going to read the whole post. Should I tell people where they could find this post? Sure. So it's at good good old day far, good old days farm dot com. All right. So the. Uh, the the blog post is actually under maintenance, but I'm looking at a cache. Is that cache cached or cached? I think cached. I'm I'm looking at a cached version of it right here, and I will. Um, you can go to this. Uh, it's uh, good old days farm blog. I can't even see it under. Oh yeah, goodolddaysfarm.com. If you want to see exactly what she says, I don't want to misrepresent her. On the other hand, I don't want to spend our whole time actually reading this whole thing. So I'm just going to read you. She really only makes one point. I think she would probably agree with me that she makes basically one point. Her one point is, 
Philippians 4.8. Any uh, idea what Philippians 4.8 says? Whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is just, whatever is noble. It's that verse, right? Think upon those things. That is exactly right. I will pull it up so we can get it exactly right in our friend, the NASB. The Bible of choice for people that like things that aren't poetic at all. Uh, Let's see. Actually, this is the whatever. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So, Mrs. GoodOldDaysFarm.com, I don't know what her name is, she quotes that verse, and she says, uh, uh, scroll down, but very early in our parenting journey, Papa the Farmer, that's what she calls her husband. And I decided that our number one rule in parenting would be Philippians 4.8. She quotes the verse like I just did. And then she says the following. Over the years, we have made a lot of mistakes, but one thing we've noticed is that we only mess up when we stray from what God tells us in his word. When we take advice from the God who created parenting, we get it right. So when God says, quote, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, dot, 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 think on these things, unquote, not only do we want to do this ourselves, but we want to train our children to focus their thoughts on what is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report. Fiction, by its very nature, is simply not true, Jake. God says to stay away from anything that is not true, so we do. So what she's doing is having a very narrow definition of truth. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) You don't say. (laughs) Uh, She's redefined truth to mean something that is only those things that are strictly factual. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's how. That's her definition of truth by that standard. If you're going to rule out fiction categorically by using the word whatever is true, mm-hmm. that phrase, then you have to categorically define truth in that phrase to mean nothing other than what is purely factual. In which case, Jesus and the prophets and uh, the, the, the prophet poets. And the poet, yeah. <laughs> Anytime that there is a a parable, anytime that there is a metaphor, anything that's not strictly factual, we got a problem that we have to deal with. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down. We are not actually lying down besides still waters right now, insofar as I can tell. Yeah, so we should never pray that prayer. But Jake, Mrs. GoodOldDaysFarm.com is one step ahead of you, my friend. Oh, is she? Yes. Get ready for this. The the title of the next section of this post is, quote, but Jesus used parables to teach. That's what idiots like us (laughs) would say. In fact, to just say. (laughs) So she, of course, anticipates this uh, thrust and uh, parries it away with uh, her trademark (laughs) good old days farm wit and wisdom Uh um, that I'm assuming she has here. She says, yes, Jake, Jesus did use parables to teach, always in the context of teaching spiritual truths never simply to entertain. Okay, so there are two things going on here. First of all, did Jesus tell stories that weren't factually true? I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say he did. He did, right? Mm-hmm. So did Nathan when he came to David to confront him about Bathsheba, right? This is true. Stories that were not factually true to have a spiritual point. You cannot rule out stories that are not factually true categorically, and then just say, well, if they communicate spiritual points, or if it's just Jesus doing it, that's one thing. But everything else is categorical. It's just a contradiction. That's self-contradictory. It does not work. That is bad logic, (laughs) Mrs. Good Old Days Farm. (laughs) (laughs) So... 
you're just wrong. You're well, wrong. But there's something else going on I here. I think there is too, yeah. And it's in how she ends that. Can you read that again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll read a slightly more extended uh, little section from it. Yes, Jesus did use parables to teach, always in the context of teaching spiritual truths, never simply to entertain. Many of his parables begin with the words, the kingdom of heaven is like unto. Christ's stories were illustrations that took the mysteries of heaven, explained thus using every day as examples. The end result of Christ's stories was that his listeners had a huge aha moment. Oh, that is what God means when he says to love my neighbor. That is the passive blah, blah, blah. Uh, that, we know that we are selecting profitable reading material if what we read to our children answers questions about the nature of God and the kingdom of heaven. So you got two things going on there. One is this idea that, what, what was the thing? Not simply to entertain? Not simply to entertain. Not simply to entertain, only answering questions about the nature of God or something like that, right? Now to do uh, Mrs. I should just jump in here and say to do Mrs. Good Old Day Farm, GoodOldDaysFarm.com a little bit of credit. She does at the beginning of the article basically say that this is descriptive. It's not prescriptive. This is what we do. I don't want to place a burden on anybody. She says all this kind of stuff. But somehow Mrs. K. Robbins, poor Mrs. K. Robbins and us and everybody, we end Feel up feeling just some a little kind of kind burden. of little burdened by, <laughs> by this. <laughs> <laughs> but she does maybe that's your conscience speaking to you Nathan <laughs> could be could be might could be let's explore that question <laughs> well look okay either it's okay for us to be like Jesus mm-hmm. or it's not right right if Jesus does it and if Nathan the prophet does it if other prophets do it if King David does it if King it. David does it is it okay for us to be like him or not is it okay for us to be like them or not? Can we follow in Jesus' footsteps and tell stories that aren't factually true in order to illustrate her word, spiritual points? She says no, right? And we shouldn't consume them outside of scripture. Which I think therein lies the rub because what we're actually seeing her here, her problem isn't with untruth because she admits that there are, there is apparently a time and place where one could employ a non-fact to useful But ends. she's not willing to give it to us outside of scripture itself. Right. And so there's a r- other thing going on there and it's in those words, not simply for entertainment and only for answering questions about the nature of God or something like that. Yeah, so yeah. what she's done is she has taken up arms against entertainment in general. Yes. Right? That's her real enemy. That's her real problem. She wouldn't come right out. She didn't come right out and say that. But the underlying the underlying, the yeah. underlying thing that you have to believe, and the reason that we suddenly feel tension, and Mrs. K. Robbins probably feels tension, is that we're like, oh, yeah, we, uh, oh, yeah, I, I do spend a lot of my time on entertainment, and it's probably not good, and I don't know what to do, and oh. Right, yeah, and we, we live in a place of, of tension. We live in an entertainment-saturated culture. Mm-hmm. Where everything is coming to us in the form, even our news comes to us in the form of entertainment. We only pay attention to the things that entertainment entertain us. And Neil Postman writes books about how we're amusing ourselves to death, and we're indeed he does. we can't take any anything seriously because we have to be entertained by it, right? So, and then we're vulnerable to all kinds of lies, and all all of those things are true. Absolutely, right? absolutely, they're absolutely true. And so here we are, living in this kind of culture and saturated in this kind of culture, and we have to come to terms with what it means to be a faithful, discerning Christian in a culture like this. Which is hard work. It's hard work. And it's much easier work to simply be entirely dismissive of 
you know, entertainment altogether. Right. Jesus used parables, and so therefore they were good. It, uh, you know, it taught a spiritual point. But if you're doing something that isn't teaching a spiritual point, then you must be doing something wrong. And because you're not Jesus, you probably can't do it right anyway, so you right, better just exactly. stick to black might and might as well just, yes. Yeah, so, you know, you see this kind of thing. I, I went through this. This is what I would characterize as just very immature uh, repentance from from our culture. So when I first became a Christian, I was 16, 17 years old. I didn't know what to do with myself. All I knew was that I grew up in a, in this American milieu. You know, I, I was bought into everything. If it was a movie, I watched it. If it was music, I listened to it. And so I became a Christian, and suddenly I recognized all of these idols that had been filling up my life, yeah, that I put in the place of God. And so I, I just wanted to throw them all in a great big fire. And I basically did. I quit the baseball team. I threw all of my CDs into a literal pile and burned them. Veritable, it wasn't a, a part of like bonfire some... Bonfire of the vanities. It wasn't a part of some like youth group ritual tradition. Right. I just did it. Like I just did it. It just seemed like the right thing to do. I, I stopped going to movies. I stopped even following sports. I stopped reading fiction. In fact, uh, for for several years, I didn't have a TV for all four years of college. I only ever saw movies when it was it presented an opportunity to have you know yeah, evangelistic a, or spiritual conversations. World, yes. Exactly right. <laughs> um, I was able to justify watching some pretty awful movies as we were talking about earlier <laughs> off, off mic. <laughs> um, because the truth was, for as much as I tried to convince myself that the Christian music I I started listening to was good. I was never convinced by it. And as much as I tried to convince myself that a lot of the pagan art out there was awful, I couldn't actually convince myself of it. Right. (laughs) Um, And so there was this hard swing, right? And, And this is what we do, especially when we're immature in our faith. We, when we first come we, we have an awakening of some kind and we swing. Mm-hmm. We swing hard, 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 hard. That's immaturity, especially immaturity outside of a context of a good church where you're going to be shepherded and discipled into mature repentance and faith. And so for me, everything was on the table. I threw it all in the fire. Yes, it was the bonfire of the vanities. Everything was gone, burned up. And, and I did a lot of harm through that, but also, you know, God used it in, in some really great ways. And on the flip side of that, you know, we have something more like like your story where um yes grew up with very you know it's possible that um some of the authorities in my life when i was younger may have been a little bit more uh good old farms.com-esque and uh we didn't necessarily engage in a lot of stuff so i finally got out of that and i was like hey wow you know entertainment is great (laughs) i'm gonna watch every movie ever made (laughs) and i did (laughs) you just see that all the time yeah it's like it's one of the things we've made fun of before about homeschoolers it's just it's kind of funny to watch sometimes where you know uh, i think you said off mic and now I'll, i'll steal it and make it my own you know every teetotaler is an alcoholic in waiting or i don't know you said something yeah, better yeah, than yeah. that but you know it's I, either just... a recovering alcoholic or a, an alcoholic waiting to happen right exactly every teetotaler <laughs> there we go every teetotaler is an alcoholic waiting to happen because you know you just spend your life like oh i'm so careful i i can't even touch i oh no i oh no there was was there cooking wine in that oh no right so what's the real thing What's the real thing behind all of that? It's it's still idolatry. It's mm-hmm. all idolatry. It's like this college student that um, that came up to me 
back when I was a college pastor, grabbed me, grabbed like four other assistant leaders of, of the campus ministry, pulled us into a private room after church on Sunday because he had serious sin to confess. And I've been in rooms with serious confession of sin before. And I'm talking like I molested my sister. I was raped. And then I, and now I'm gay. Like I've, I've had these actual confessions before, right? So I'm braced. And he comes and he says, guys, I masturbated. <laughs> and then, and it was all I could do not to laugh, right? And it wasn't because I don't take this sin of masturbation seriously, but it's because this guy is still ruled by his lust. Yes. It, because he defines his righteousness by this one little aspect of sin and righteousness, whether or not he masturbated, mm-hmm. right? And he, he would not pull us into a room like that to confess his anger or any other sin. And yeah, it's a serious sin. I am not, you know, I'm not yeah. condoning it. I'm not trying to make light of it, but... I want people to see, I want. I wanted this young man, and this is what we ended up talking about, I wanted him to see he has not conquered or ruled his lusts if he's day by day defining his, his walk with God and his righteousness by whether or not he's masturbated that day. First of all, the call to purity is way bigger than that, <laughs> right. right? It's way beyond that. That's a really safe, easy way, mm-hmm. right? It's just like... You know, f- you know, it's just like, I'm going to be done with all entertainment. I'm going to be, you know, um, this is where I'm drawing the line. The line is at masturbation. And that's, now I know I'm pure. And, and I please, check that's wrong. Right, I've checked that box. Yeah. Oh, no, I slipped up and I, I really, I was walking down the street and I heard Sweet Caroline in uh, uh, being played by a bar, and I sort of tapped along, and crap, you oh, know, oh no. Oh, woe is me. <laughs> I've a given sinner. in to the sin of entertainment, <laughs> you know. mercy upon me, <laughs> Let me call five pastors to pray for me, <laughs> right? <laughs> in a moment of weakness, I, I, I went and I watched some cat videos on YouTube. <laughs> ah, you know, the, the Bible says, uh, you know, every thought must be taken captive. You know. Drank my orange juice this morning without having deliberate thoughts about the glory of God. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I don't know. It's, there's something almost cute when the younger people do it, but... Well, I, what, it, what it does show is that there is a real... Beneath that, beneath every, every Pharisee is... You know, at least there's some desire it, to to be godly, to be holy, to honor. You, you set up the rules because you're trying to find ways to to honor God, and you're tricking yourself. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself about it. Um, well, here's but here's what happens. You set up those rules. You find, and, and then what happens is. I've 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 known people like this. Some of my relatives. I've 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 just known a lot of older people who started out that way when they were young, and maybe you could kind of forgive it as an excess of zeal. But what happens is, I don't think Satan. I think Satan must love nothing more than us to, you know, what's the metaphor? To run screaming from the uh, the temple of Baal right into the temple of Dagon. You <laughs> right. Know, to, to, <laughs> and, and so, guess what, Satan. Uh, you know, I don't know what Satan does, but <laughs> I'm speaking metaphorically now. Sorry, Mrs. <laughs> GoodOldDaysFarm.com. But guess what? A lot of times you will be allowed to be to check those boxes. You will find that you have quote unquote victory over the masturbation because guess what? That's great if you can 
if, if Satan can let you feel self-righteous and then let you harden into a person who, as they get older over time, just uh, calcifies and, and turns into stone, uh, uh, who thinks that, I sound like Dennis Hopper from Apocalypse Now, <laughs> if is the middle word of life, man. <laughs> who, uh, speaking of liberty. Speaking of Christian liberty, yes, we'll get to that. Um, if we haven't already gotten to that, timeline is really hard with these episodes, folks. But um you turn into a self-righteous person who thinks they've made it, who thinks you, because they don't drink alcohol, they've achieved, you know, righteousness before God. And there is no way of, you know, because you didn't masturbate on Thursday, you achieved your righteousness. And it, it, it becomes a, a wicked thing because what you do is you end up, uh, what you actually do is you end up repenting of the, the, the means of grace because you see idolatry in uh, drink, and you see idolatry in novels, and you see idolatry in movies. But uh, eventually, what, I, what I've seen some people do is, you know, they, they, they sort of realize that their wife is an idol. They realize that their job is an idol. They the realize children. their children are an idol. And, it is an, and, and, and what they need to do is be spiritual. And and so what happens? The American dream is an idol, and that means my family and my house and my picket fence. And so we're just going to live in a ta- tra- trailer, and I'm not going to take responsibility to take care of my wife and kids, and I'm not going to do the work of going to church because I'm I'm spiritual. And you know, America, we make our churches into idols. You know, we come to God through it's all we, churchianity. We, we don't even care about Jesus. All we care about is is the church. You know, is is having those relationships with our friends at church and all the you know bur- bur- bourgeois sort of churchy things that middle-class Americans do. That's not for me. It's religion, right. and it's a social club, and it's not about Jesus. I'm more spiritual than that. Right. And it ends up becoming the worst kind of legalism. It's, uh, we talked about him. It's that guy from, it's it's Anna, It's Mr. Karenina from, right. from the novel, where he's this real stick in the mud, and then he repents himself right into a mysticism that's another form of stick in the mudishness. Yep, absolutely. And then, you know, so that, you know, and that's one side of it. And then there's the other side of it, which is like, you know, just pop on Twitter or, or uh, try to <laughs> go on the Reform Pub and, and see everybody taking selfies of their beards and talking about their beard oil and their cigars and their sophisticated tastes in beer. Right. This is right? the opposite immature reaction. Yeah. This is the reaction against the reaction oftentimes. Right. I was homeschooled or whatever. I grew up with and, someone that was so spiritually minded. You know, my dad was so spiritually minded that we couldn't watch movies. And now... I love everything that comes out by Quentin Tarantino right. because it's gritty and it's dark, gritty, and, it's real. dark and real. I love the dark, gritty, real right. stuff. <laughs> I'm gonna watch everything. And if you try to like hold me down with your legalistic standards of righteousness, idiot, <laughs> and I'm gonna go smoke a cigar and drink five beers in Jesus' name. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, and I know we've talked about this multiple times on the bookening before. Guess what? We're going to talk about it again. Forever. Because, <laughs> forever. And this is a, we are going to beat this horse until it's dead, and then we are going to bury it, and then we are going to dig it up again periodically. Every year you'll hear us dig this horse up and beat it some more because it is, we're, bookening is a show about like art and stuff like that. And these are the things that Christians do with art. They always do these things, and it's it's just, ugh. I'm going to be pious. I reject piety. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Your your piety is pietism, and I... It's it's Zack Snyder's consent. We're all all in the nightmare of either being Zack Snyder's Superman or Zack Snyder's Batman. (laughs) That's, that's, you know... (laughs) 
we're all like, right. I am false, sanctimonious, pious, and, you know, really I suck. Or I'm dark and real and gritty and I hate you, Superman. <laughs> we're all five-year-old, five-year-old. It's ah, just the immaturity some, yeah, it's is just, rampant. Yeah. It's rampant. So, that brings us back to ah, Mrs. Good Old Days. Mrs. Fine. Good Old Days. So, Mrs. Good Old Days is going to look at us and she's going to say, "Okay, um, great. Well, let me ask you a question, Mister mm-hmm. Smarty Pants, Smarty McSmart Pants, Albertson Smart. Yep. Uh, pick a place in time that you think is like godly and awesome, and tell me about the place of entertainment in that place. Place in time. Should we? Should we answer? Sure." Pick something. Uh, Calvin's Geneva. Calvin's Geneva. See, Calvin was an idol smasher who destroyed all art and who hated right. entertainment and everything. Geneva was... And you that's know, what made Geneva awesome. You read about Geneva, it was a place that was flourishing for the arts before Calvin came along and he clamped down on it and sent his squads to blah, blah, blah. And it resulted in, you know, righteousness. So say. How, how do you respond to that argument of... Decadent cultures are cultures that elevate the... Well, to very quickly address that particular example that we happen to bring up, Calvin was a great artist. He's a really good writer. He's a lot of fun to read. He uses metaphors beautifully. His, his, every page of the Institutes is full of these just wonderful gems. I mean, if you like to read any of the stuff that we've t- read f- together for the booketing that's been stylistically elevated, you know, that's, that's had these little wonderful metaphors and, and, and gems of prose style. If you liked Conrad, if you liked, uh, what's that dumb lady, Marilyn Robinson, if you liked Hemingway, if you liked that stuff, read Calvin. He's a good writer. He's he, a really great he writer. He takes his cue from guys like King David and King Solomon who were good writers. And then take a deeper look into the music of the Reformation, into the music of Geneva. Into the fact that the Reformation invented Christian music? I pretty mean, much. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So there's that um, in general, but then... So there's that specifically, that specifically for right? that example. But, 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 but in general, um, I think what you actually find is not that those times and places lacked uh, entertainment, but that entertainment was kept in its proper place. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've talked on this show before about how uh, Shakespeare would have viewed himself as just a humble craftsman who had no expectation of his... Of being William and Shakespeare. Yeah, you know, being the immortal bard. Mm-hmm. The immortal bard wasn't anything that he, you know, he he worked with words. He was the very mortal, the mortal craftsman of Stratford-upon-Avon. And in fact, um, as somebody who worked with words, his words were almost doomed to disappear, right? That was like, Part of the part of the indignity of his craft was that he didn't get to build things that lasted. He wasn't a philosopher. He wasn't someone that was contributing to the great conversation that it, people well, were at that time beginning and he wasn't, to be aware of. And he of. wasn't uh, painting great works of art or sculpting statues or building cathedrals or even building chairs, for goodness sake. He was writing plays for the peanut gallery. I mean... And those plays are performed and then they're done. He was like, it's like a sitcom writer today or something. He's just right. This week we need a Hamlet. Uh, Not like a sitcom writer because a sitcom writer knows that at least his work's going to live on digitally. Syndication or whatever. Right? (laughs) It's going to be syndicated. It's going to be out there. It's going to live on digitally. Gilligan's Island is pretty much immortal. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But... But, but but with Shakespeare, you know, it's performed. And then, you know, when he's gone, his plays stop going into... Like, he has to fund his own plays being in production. When he's gone, nobody's there to continue to put them on. Another playwright's going to rise up, and he's going to put on his own plays. And then it's that's the way it had been done before, and that was the way it was always going to go on. That's the way that he thought about it, right? And turns out he was a really great craftsman, who a total genius, and, and lived at a time, you know, when the, the printing press was 
you know, ready to carry his work out and people were ready to latch onto it and say, how about instead of throwing this away, we kind of keep doing some of it because it's really, really great, right. you know? <laughs> All that to say, yeah, sure. In, a, in, in those, great, those great times where God has allowed his word to flourish, we're not going to see or, or hear or know a lot about the entertainment of that time. That's not going to be because it didn't exist. This is going to be because it's in its, its proper place. It's subordinated to life, family, work, church, and that is the, the pulpit. That 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 and that's the thing. Whether you make an idol out of entertainment by indulging it, or you make an idol out of entertainment by being a Pharisee about it, it's still an idol, and it's still something that you're spending way too much time thinking about, and you're making it a huge part of your life where it, it, it's actually just not that important. And so, listen, our point is not with this show to try to elevate literature to a central place in your life. That is not our goal. That is not our hope. It's not to elevate fiction to this central culturally transformative thing or this central place in your life that's going to like revolutionize your life. You will learn things and you will grow by by reading good authors. We we did an episode where we talked about some of this stuff not too long ago. We're not going to do a lot of episodes where we remind you that most of the episodes you're going to hear us say, oh, Shakespeare, he's the greatest. Ah, Conrad, oh, that's so beautiful. Right. So, But just let us take, you know, another opportunity here to just remind you the larger context for that. That is a world that was made by God and a human creature who is you, who was made to glorify God and enjoy him forever, as I think the children's catechism taught me. And that's what you have to do. That's 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 the answer to the this weird false guilt that uh, Mrs. Old Good K Good Farms, old farm days. Good yeah. K Farms, yeah, that she wants to put on you. And that's the answer to the the gluttony that other Christians want you to feel to, to indulge in as as part of your Christian liberty is just forget about it. Though you, you know you could you could you could get done with this episode and we could have laid a guilt trip on you so that you're suddenly like, oh boy, entertainment is playing too large of a role in my life. I need to think about. <laughs> Ways I can diminish the role of entertainment. No, just just don't think about entertainment. Just don't think about how you're not going to think. Don't do what I always do with this kind of stuff, where you know, uh, you obsess know, about how you're not going to obsess. Yeah, about I mean, ten, 10 years ago, you know, my pastor told me I was uh, too self conscious, and I'm still trying to figure out what he meant. You know, um, <laughs> that kind of thing. Stop being so self conscious. Right? What? Uh, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> that path lies to madness. Instead, concentrate on God. Read your. Bible. Pray to him. Thank him for stuff. Make a habit of saying, you know, thank God for this and thank, you know. And and as one great author uh, and opposer of plays <laughs> said, <laughs> love God and do as you please. Right. <laughs> St. Augustine right there for you. Mm-hmm. And don't use that to justify not loving God, right? Right. Don't use that to justify giving your heart over to sin. Use that to motivate you to actually love God and let what you do be ruled by your love of God and your love of people. Yeah, I think, I mean, and that's been so incredibly true in my own life. You know, I've talked about being a glutton for entertainment after I was brought up in some sense to be an ascetic. And uh, then I repented of, repented, quote, unquote, of that into gluttony. Well, how did I then come out of that? Well, the answer is I'm still working on it. That's one answer um, and a very true one. But another answer is that it just sort of naturally happened as a byproduct of learning to, of, you know, of the Holy Spirit 
working in my life and helping me to love people being and love committed, God. Being committed to a good church, the church, to the means of grace, to loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, and thinking carefully about what that actually means and what that actually looks like practically. We're not talking about some kind of like mystical let go and let God, and if you just sort of don't think about things and just do whatever you feel like. That's not what we're talking about. No, we're it's, talking it's, about it's, actively. It's very practical. It's I have to do a thing for church. You know, I I have X, Y, and Z that I have to do. And in order to get them done, I've got to spend some of my evening doing them. While I'm spending that time, I'm not going to be able to watch Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones because I cannot watch those shows while doing this good thing. Because I have committed myself to embracing responsibility, doing hard things, and loving God, my neighbor, my church. But it really is that and practical. So, you know, it's it's not like I've achieved an elevated state of spirituality wherein my focus is on Jesus and him crucified, and I do not ponder the things of this world. I think in no, some it, sense that's true, but it, sure. it means very practical. Like, I have to go love a widow and an orphan. And listen, I'm not saying I'm good at any of this stuff. I suck. But I'm just using myself as an example because it's the handiest one that we have. Have. You know, I'm a sinner and I'm not good at loving widows and orphans. But, but all that being said, the, the point is, for if we're, if we're allowed to just use me as an example, oh, shoot, I got to go love a widow and orphan. I guess I can't watch this season of Game of Thrones. You know, oh, shoot, I've got to honor my parents by doing X, Y, and Z. Oh, I guess I, you know, I mean, it's just. Well, and then you begin to lose your appetite for some of those things, too. Yeah. You know, as you start to, as you mature in your desires and grow in godliness and in a hunger for really wanting to honor God in all that you do, and you see and taste the goodness of what that looks like and feels like, then yes, and the things of earth will grow strangely mm-hmm. dim, right? Right. <laughs> as the, as that, I don't even, I, I haven't listened to or sung that hymn in a long time, so I don't want to make a judgment about it, but right. I have a, I have a revulsion you know this is why we do this podcast that stupid song has been earning that perhaps wonderful song has been going through my mind this whole time (laughs) um but uh but yeah yeah i mean that's that is that is a wonderful secret is that if you obey god by doing the things he does change your heart and it's by degrees and you won't ever catch it happening but you'll suddenly be surprised. You know, you'll go back and you'll watch a movie that you used to really enjoy and suddenly you go, Ugh. and it's actually, I mean, it's kind of a depressing feeling to realize how debauched you were, but it's, a, it's actually a nice, it's like, wow, I didn't actually, God is good. I didn't actually permanently scald myself and desensitize myself such that this side of heaven, I was always going to be numb. He can actually make that organ, make that, you know, give feeling back into the, he can actually make that heart of stone into flesh. It's like really cool what God can do, you know? And I ain't perfect and I still like a lot of bad stuff, but it's just, it's awesome. Yeah. So at the end of the day, will giving yourself to entertainment make you weak and feeble-minded and um, effeminate and, you know, have your, fill your mind with trash. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. It will. But if you're giving yourself to godliness and to walking in God's ways, to embracing responsibility, to doing hard things, to loving God, loving your neighbor, then uh, there's a really great place for entertainment because we can't all live under the constant tension of, of this life. And we do need times where we rest and we, uh, we rest first in the Lord and we rest in the wonderful things that God has made and allowed us to make. And you know, it's why Proverbs says that laughter is good for the soul. 
right? So maybe I should ask you this, Jake, as a guy that sort of did the opposite trajectory. I've I've sort of said how I've sort of used myself as an example of how I sort of found that my way back to what was right when you were in the depths of your monkishness uh, yeah. what sort of snapped you out of it how did you just did you just kind of grow out of it by degrees or what happened was there an aha moment or no well i think what happened was i had been i don't know i think god over time just showed me that i was my whole thing my whole shtick in my repentance was repenting as much of uh, the hypocrisy of american civil religion as anything else and i think I, uh, God was able to show me, open my eyes to see that my own hypocrisy. And well, perhaps a more specific question would be helpful. You, as we know on the bookening from your outfit in the Heart of Darkness uh, episode, yeah. love baseball. That's right. <laughs> um, but you said you repented of all sports. That's At some right. point, you had to turn that TV back on and watch baseball. Now all your kids are in like Little League and stuff. Yep, that's what, right. What changed? I mean, you, you, what happened? Um... Some of it just began, some of that repentance began by wanting to heal and work on my relationship with my dad. Baseball was the central father-son activity of my life growing up. So when I threw that away, it, you know, that was the thing that my dad and I communed around was baseball, either playing it, him coaching me, or just talking about the Cardinals or whatever. And so, you know, when I jettisoned baseball, I jettisoned the strongest link I had to my dad one, not, I probably shouldn't say that, but was certainly one of the strongest links I had to my dad. And so part of it was just realizing that was really stupid and immature and unkind. And so I wanted to, especially as I began to have kids, I wanted to reestablish the kind of strength our relationship had uh, before beforehand. And then as I became a dad and saw my, my own failures and weaknesses as a father and began more intensely going through the process that I don't know who it was that where the quote came from, but uh, Tim Bailey likes to quote it all the time that first we judge our fathers and then we, or first we love our fathers, our parents, and we judge them. And sometimes we, we forgive them. I, I, my respect for my, my dad and for my parents just grew and grew and grew. And I saw all the, all the wonderful things that my dad was able to teach me through things like baseball. And I just thought, you know, what an idiot, what a hypocrite you are. And how are you going to get through life through being a good dad without taking the good things your dad gave you and giving them to your own kids and, and using them to help form their character and help them to grow in godliness? There's some really great tools that dad gave me. And turns out, I feel like this may sound unspiritual to our listeners, but uh, I feel like some of my best moments as a dad have, have been on the ball field or just off the ball field. And so... You know, we're all struggling and trying to figure this thing out, and mm-hmm. and and it's hard. That's the really beautiful thing that I think people should should know if they don't. Hopefully, they know it. But if they don't know it, it's like I mean, I know it's, this sounds like the corniest of cliches, but you can't outgive God. You can't give Him anything that He won't give back. And one of the wonderful things about repenting of any sort of idolatry on either side of an issue like entertainment is that you know, many not always, but many times, God will give it back to you sanctified in some weird way, you know, and I've seen that again and again and again, you know, Uh, repent of the debauchery of wicked movies. And, you know, suddenly I find myself doing a fun, you know, book podcast with my friends. There's an example, you know, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Hey, guess what? All my crappy uh, wanderings in art and uh, literature and entertainment, God actually decided he was going to use that in a funny way for people. You know, isn't that like just 
cool. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that the old demons aren't still there sure. and that there aren't still battles to be fought on those on those grounds, but suddenly it's not enemy territory anymore. Right. There's been some real victory that's happened and, you, and you're rooting out the, the devils or the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so able to come back to baseball and see it with fresh eyes and, and love it for what it is and not for everything that I had associated it with, you know? Yeah. Suddenly it's not an idol. It's just... It's just a thing. It's just another little unimportant tool in your toolkit that happens to be one that you enjoy. Well, and, you know, you see the same thing happening in Scripture, right? With the question of meat sacrificed to idols, mm-hmm. right? Well, for some people, to the to the weaker brothers, right? And, and this is why... Uh, we have to talk about this stuff, right? There are always weaker brothers and always stronger brothers, and the strong oppress the weak, and the weak oppress the strong with their weakness. Mm-hmm. And so the weaker brothers see, when they see meat, they see idolatry, and they see awful, detestable practices associated with that. And others look at it and say, there are no gods behind this. This is, there's nothing. All of the gods are idols, and this is meat that God made, and I can take it with a good clean conscience. I'm not doing worship to any of these false gods by eating this meat. It's just meat, right? And we have to be able to to grow and mature in our understanding of these things, but also know ourselves and know those places in our lives where, you know, we are so vulnerable that maybe we should just not eat that meat because we're so vulnerable to the temptation of yeah, if, if, worshiping if, if, those if you, idols. If you and were that's a okay. uh, temple prostitute that had to eat that meat every day while doing, and, and you just can't abide, that's fine, whatever. We, we shouldn't, we who are stronger and can't eat the meat don't need to be oppressing you about it. Just don't eat it. That's fine. And so yeah, I do want to, you know, come back and make place for even somebody like Mrs. Good Old Days Farms and say, you know, did she say that she was like a literature professor or something like that? That's what Mrs. K. Robbins said about her. I, I didn't actually okay, well, take the time to figure out that you out know, or not. It may be that actually in her in her case, that literature was such an idol for her that she she needs to steer away from it. But what she doesn't need to be doing is oppressing other people right. with her I, I would even go so this if it's that far. She's probably sincere at the beginning of her blog post when she says, I don't want to oppress people. She just doesn't realize how... Oppressive, oppressive she's some being. of this stuff can be, yeah. But this is what the weak do. The weak oppress the strong with their weakness, and the strong oppress the weak with their strength. And what we have to be able to do is step back and see the big picture and love each other and let love cover a multitude of sins. And so our goal, I guess, with this episode is to say, if you are feeling oppressed by the weakness of these of somebody like Mrs. Good Old Days Farms, it's okay. Chill out, relax. And if you have a if you have a sensitive conscience about the entertainment that you take in and you're being oppressed by by the libertines out there. Right. Right? <laughs> man, choose choose godliness over entertainment and over uh, and set up good boundaries for yourself without being legalistic about it. Yeah. There's lots of movies not to watch. There's lots of books not to read. There's lots of stuff to just say no to. We don't necessarily have all these conversations on mic, but there are, there are great classic works in the pantheon of literature that we're just probably not going to do because life is short and, you know. It's time to sift through all that junk. Yeah. Well, I guess that about sums it up. I guess so. <laughs> be free. Be loosed to be a slave to righteousness. Yes. <laughs> You are free, my daughter, Mrs. K. Robbins. Hope this was helpful. Hit us up on uh, 
Instagram, since that's your that's your entertainment of choice, Mrs. K. Robinson is your Instagram account. I don't know. Probably need to repent of liking to watch uh, pictures of your, your friend's cats and their cute children and stuff. Stop <laughs> making an idol of it, woman. Get over it. Just be spiritual. Why don't you just be spiritual? I'm just kidding, Mrs. K. Robbins. Here's to you, Mrs. K. Robbins. The Bookening loves you more than you can know. Oh, oh, oh. And um, where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? As a baseball fan, Jake, you must... nation turns its lonely eyes. You must turn your lonely head to <laughs> Joe DiMaggio all the time. Poor Jolton Joe. was written and produced today by me, Nathan Alberson. It was performed by me, Nathan Alberson, and of course, uh, Pastor Jacob Menzel. You can find The Bookening on Instagram now. We have an Instagram with all kinds of beautiful art. Mrs. K. Robbins, you should probably be subscribing for that if you, for all your Bookening Instagram needs. And uh, you can find Warhorn Media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook uh, under at Warhorn Media. Uh, Bookening would be under at Bookening. Uh, you can find us on Twitter under various names and titles i'm not at not famous nathan jake is jacob menzel and uh yeah join us next week for more discussion of books thanks for listening <laughs>